by our scripture reading and the lighting of the candle, it's obvious that our study today is going to be the love of Christ and what He has shown for us. Last week we we shared in the, the hope that God is bringing us and has brought us. And uh, one of the scriptures that goes with the idea of hope is, is from uh, Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And the reason why I emphasize that is to that picture, that understanding. God makes a statement about what He wants and what He's going to do, and then it's His zeal, it's His will, it's His purpose. He causes it to come about. And uh, I think you've heard me share it before. As a result, Caesar and his greed wanting to know how much tax money he could get, God even used him to accomplish what he did. His God's zeal accomplished it. Caesar got Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem, basically, so that they could register for taxes. So God uses them they don't even know they're being used. And so I think it's exciting to see that God does this. And so our hope was placed there. And that was the hope of the, of the, of the believers in, in, in uh, waiting for the coming of Christ. But it's still our hope today that he will accomplish this kingdom permanently and forevermore. And we know his zeal will accomplish it. So it's our hope then and our hope now. And God accomplished that hope through, well, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we have that picture of the hope that God has given us. This week we look at the picture of love. And we've got to be careful with the, the word love because, uh, well, it's, it's a word that's uh, used so frequently in so many casual ways. Uh, I was uh, reading an article and it said, you know, it was talking about love and it was saying the things that we love, you know, uh, we, people that we love, things that we love. Uh, you know, so when we say people, we would say we love our spouses, we love our children, our grandchildren, our parents, our siblings, our, fi- uh, our uh, friends. Uh, you go on and on of, you know, neighbors, good friends, whatever. Uh, you say, frequently you find yourself saying, oh, I love so-and-so, or I love the way they, even the things they do, I love the way they cook. I love their chocolate chip cookies, especially when they're kind of burnt on the bottom. Oh, that's a commercial. Uh, and uh, and so, uh, you know, that, that picture of all the things we love. And things, you know, I, I can recall, uh, you know, I I I, uh, I loved my dad's car. I, I loved driving it. It was a neat little sports car, and uh, it was. I, I just I loved his car. I loved my first sports car. Uh, you know, so you know, you could say things that you loved. I love my home, uh, foods. Like I said, chocolate chip cookies. No, I keep I get that. Um, no, I, actually, what <laughs> did I get in a did I get an amen or a preacher brother from that? Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I wrote the list of foods like seafood, you know, seafoods, lobster, abalone, <laughs> uh, and then steak and, 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 
chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> I was looking for a name in there, yes. <laughs> and so, uh, the things that we love, you know, we love our pets. You know, I, 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 I've been over at people's houses with their pets and they'll, they'll, they'll pick up their pet and say, oh, I love you. And I find that I've actually done the same thing. I even talk to my animals and stuff. And so, uh, you know, we love our pets. We love our sports teams. I, you know, I've seen I love the 49ers on big banners and on shirts and whatever, other teams as well, in case you're another teamer. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, love is a casual word, really, in a lot of ways, used in a lot of contexts. Uh, love songs. I, I, I just I picked three out of the list that, that have the word love in the title. 1,187 love songs, this one guy says. It could be more. Uh, that have the title love in it. Um, love me tender. You can tell that this person was my age or older. Uh, all you need is love. And I think I love you. You know, and, uh, and then there was another one on there that I don't remember who sang that one. I know who sang those, but I can't remember the other one. I know I love you. I think, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, Aretha Franklin, what's love got to do with it? I mean, all these, these songs, you know. So we're, we're very casual with the word is what I'm trying to get at. We use it a lot. Um, and then we turn around and we say, uh, you know, uh, God so loved the world. And I think most of us for a moment will catch that. But we, you know, it, it, it's kind of in and out, and then we'll use the word love as frequently as we have in the past. And I'm, I'm just, just suggesting to you that when we say that, that God so loved the world, we're understanding a different kind of love than what those other things are referring to. I was uh, surprised. You know, you, 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 you read things, study things, and, and, and over the years, and, and I've been coming in and out of the pulpit for a long time now. And and I have preached on on uh, God so loved the world and the word love, which is being used there, is agape. And I think most of you understand there's three basic kinds of love. There's the uh, erotic love. It's eros in the Greek, uh, which is for husband and wife. They share that with each other. There's, there's the phileo love, which is uh, the friendship love, Philadelphia, the city of, of, of friendship, you know. Uh, and, and then there's the agape love, which is a unique love, and it's God-centered. It, it requires, it, it's a kind of, of, of love that says it's unconditional. I love you uh, no matter what you've done. It's the love that God has for us. And all through Scripture, we're called to have that same love. And you can't have it without God in you. That's just all there is to it. And... The interesting thing that I, I found out this last time in, in one of the, the books, I've, I've used it before, and I don't know, yeah, it's one of those things I just missed in studying uh, for the message, and that is, is that uh, the word agape, and it's used in classical Greek only about ten times. The rest of it's the, the, the other two, the friendship love or, or, the, or the physical love. You know, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. In Scripture, it's used over and over and over and over again because it's from God. And it's speaking of God's love. God so loved us. He so loved us unconditionally that before we were ever looking for Him, He 
came to us in the sense of bringing His love, His plan before the foundation of the world to bring His love to us to redeem us. So, uh, consider God, uh, you know, this idea that He loved the world. He's taken a special effort to reveal Himself to us as well. He loves us so much that He doesn't want to be hidden from us. He doesn't want to be a, a total mystery from us. And, and so He reveals Himself to us. In fact, He reveals Himself to us more thoroughly than we, than we can comprehend. And what I mean by that is, is that as we look at how He's revealed Himself through His Scripture, okay, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that the, the, the Scripture of God is God-breathed. All Scripture is breathed out by God, it says in, in, in 2 Timothy 3. And so we, what we say as, as believers is that this, this is the Word of God revealed to us through prophets and those that God had writing His Word, recording His Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit ministering through them, and, and so that it was God speaking. And so it's God speaking to us today when we read the Word. Uh, and when you read uh, especially the Gospels and you, and you hear the, what they're sharing and then you read the letters that interpret the, the way the Gospels are to be lived out and all of this, you realize these, these are not things that, that man comes up with. These are the things that God has come up with. So it's God breathed. He wants us uh, to, he, he wants to be, I, I put it down here, He wants to be looked for and found. He wants to be found. He wants to be seen. Uh, in Romans chapter uh, two, uh, God reveal or chapter yeah one and, and, and God reveals Himself how in nature. And I don't know how much you've studied biology and 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 it gets into physics and everything else as far as dealing with the the, the way things are put together and and all and it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. I say it every time I, I talk about it, but it is hard for me to accept that this teak wood here is not solid, that there's actually stuff moving around in there. There's live action going on in there. Uh, that's amazing. How does, how does how, you know, it, does, it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, oak dulls my saw before I can hardly get it cut, or ash even worse. You know, and, I, and so I, I look at these things and I think there's molecules, there's atoms, there's electrons and protons and all these kinds of things going on. God put all of this together. Anybody that looks at this and starts to really examine it, and I recall my, my high school biology teacher saying, there's no way you can look at this and not believe in an in a, in a, a, uh, intelligent designer. That's the most he could say. Even when I was in, in school, and they'd already started, you know, barring pastors and stuff from coming on campus to counsel kids and stuff uh, when I was in high school in, in San Luis Obispo. So uh, it was, you know, he could say intelligent design, though. And if you asked him privately, he'd tell you, yeah, God. Uh, so, you know, this idea that it had to be there. You, you can't, there's too many things that can't get from where it is to where, uh, from where they say it was to where it is now and survive. Like the bombardier beetle. Those of you that don't know it, look it up. And so, uh, uh, you know, God wants to be known through, he, through His, through nature. He wants to be known through His Word as well. That's why He's revealed Himself. 
And so that's what I'm trying to point to is God wants to be known. In, in Matthew chapter 7, there's 7 and 8, it says, uh, ask and, and, you, and he, will, he will answer you. Uh, seek and you will find. Uh, and, and knock and he will open to you. And some people think that, see that as, as scriptures for introduction to people Christian. If you want to be a Christian, ask and, and, and seek and, and find. And that, that's fine. But he was writing to believers for that. We're to continue asking, seeking and finding. And he will continue to open to us and, and, and answer us. And, and it's, it's this idea of wanting to know. So, those of you that have been walking with the Lord for years, where, you know, you go back to where you started and you think of all that you know now that you didn't know then. How many times have you read through certain scriptures, come back to them and said, oh, now I get it. That connects to this. You know, and, and one of my teachers, uh, uh, his name was Reuben Ratzliff, and he, he would be saying something like that. And he, and he was one of these guys go like that. Every time he came to a new conclusion, and I, I swear there was a flat spot on his head, uh, and uh, you know, but he would say, "Oh, and and that's," and he get excited about it. That's connected. And he's in the new in the Old Testament. He says, "You know, you see how that was there." Now I flip it over to the New Testament and say, "See how it connects," you know, and and it just you know, God did this over a period of 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 of, of, of you know millenniums. You know, to, to bring it to us in such a way. It's a consistent, coherent, non-contradicting, in spite of what many critics try to say, uh, book. It's an amazing thing. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to know Him because He loves us and He knows that He is our only answer to, to eternal life, to salvation, to resting in His love. Today's scripture that I have that I wanted to share with you is it's uh, John chapter or First John chapter three, verse eleven uh, through uh, seven or eighteen. Uh, I'm just going to go eleven and then to sixteen. So just as you're following along, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love agape one another. Drop down to fifth, to verse sixteen. By this we know love, that we that He, Christ, laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone, loves, uh, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. James has a similar picture in, in, in uh, James, uh, you know, he's talking about this in chapter 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? And that would include the context and concept of love. By the way, you understand when, when the writers of the New Testament, because they think in more of a, from a Hebrew way of looking at things, they say faith, they include in their thinking automatically all the other things that go with that. Faith and love and, 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 and God's intervention and stuff like that. It's all part of it. We, we like to parse our words so carefully and put one in each of its neat little compartments. And so when we talk about faith, we talk about faith alone. But a Hebrew wouldn't have done that. It's a, a holistic picture. 
They think of the whole thing together, and that's the way we should be looking at it too. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? See, faith and works are just part of the same picture. By the way, works don't save you. It doesn't get you a better position in heaven. It should be it's a response to faith. I have faith and God's not going to do works through me. It's just because why? He's changing the way you look at the world and the way your heart works when you see the things around you. So here again, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know, somebody comes up to you and, and, and you, it's clearly that they're uh, in need. And, and I believe at this point, God lays that on your heart. If you're walking to, with, with the desire to, to be His eyes and ears in a fallen world, you'll, you'll see someone, and, and, and I don't know how many times you've done it, but you've, I'm sure you have, where you say, I know I'm supposed to do this. Okay, and and if you just simply went up and just said, I pray for you and and you had the means to 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 buy them the groceries they needed or or the provide the the overnight stay they needed or whatever. And you didn't do it. But the means are there in your pocket. The question is, are you really walking with Christ? And the answer to that is, you know, from from what James is saying, and I think John is saying as well, is it's a question mark there. You know, you need to re-examine your relationship and what it means to you, and uh, be sure that you're in the right standing with God. Um, and John says in verse 11, "This is the message that you've heard from the beginning." In verse 11, the message you've heard from the beginning, uh, in the very first time we talked to, about Christ, the, you know, in the first place, our first contact, all of that tied to that idea in the beginning. When we came to you, this is what we shared with you. That God's love is to work through you. What God's love has done for you is to change you in such a way that it's working through you. We, showed, uh, we should love one another, he says. And again, it's this agape. Not the casual love, but agape love. And agape love is sacrificial. I'll get to that, I guess, in just a second. But, but the idea of, of, of it's, it's putting someone ahead of yourself. And even to the point where you might give to someone something you could use yourself, or maybe we're planning to use yourself. But you see their need is greater than yours, and you share with them. And that's the, this agape love is putting others ahead of you in such a way that you see them first, ahead of you. Actually, I, 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 I put it the, the way I learned it years and years and years ago. I'm third. God is first. The other man is second, and I am third. That's the way God wants us to look at the world around us. We should love one another. And then down to verse 16, it says, uh, you know, to this idea of to understand and to know love, we begin with God's love for us. By this we know love. How do we know love? You want to know how love looks, what it looks like? He, Jesus, Laid down his life for us. Literally, the laid down here is put aside. And that's kind of important for me this morning. And you'll see why in just a minute. But uh, in, go to, to 
the Gospel of John, chapter 1. This is Jesus, that context of He emptied Himself or put aside. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came and dwelt uh, among us. What He did was He set Himself aside from what He was doing. He laid aside His authority, if you will. I I think the best word I've seen to describe it was, it says that Christ rules with a scepter meaning that there's a, a scepter that is a sign of his ruling. He set that scepter down in, at the Father's feet, if you will, and he came to earth as a man. And so Paul pictures that in uh, the, the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 2. He says, and, and interesting how he says this, have this mind among yourselves. Keep that in your thoughts for a minute. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Why? Why didn't He have to grasp at it? He already had it. He didn't need to grasp at it. It was His. Okay? But, even though He is equal, He's God. He's Okay? Have this mind that he had. He made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He became a servant. And whenever I read that, I think of him washing the feet of of the other disciples. He served them and the most menial task to show that, that, that no matter who you are, you are you, when you're putting someone ahead of yourself, this, you treat them in a way that you serve them, you minister to them, you see their needs, you want to meet their needs. You want to be encouraging them, all sorts of different aspects of that. He didn't need to grasp the equality. He made himself nothing. Literally emptied himself. That to me is that idea of setting his scepter aside. He no, he no longer is, as he comes here, how often did he say in the Scriptures, in the Gospels, I am doing what the Father has told me to do. Even though this was a plan that the God, Elohim in a plural form, made before the foundation of the world, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay, he now is subject to that plan by his choice. He volunteered. He humbled himself, became a man, became flesh and blood. Obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know, Satan tried to get Jesus to avoid the cross, he tried to get Jesus to avoid the sacrifice. He says, I'll give you all the things that you want, 
if you'll just bow down and, and, and worship me. And you won't have to do that. Somebody says, is that a real temptation? Well, yeah, I believe it was. And I believe that Satan had the authority to give at that point. He was the prince of the, of the earth and he, was, he had the authority. Everything that, but basically, everything that was fallen, he had the opportunity to give. The whole world. And Jesus says, you know, that's not how the plan goes. The Word of God says this, or the Word of God says that. And, and he goes on. And so, Satan, from the very beginning, wanted to get him to, to undo his plan. Because he knew that if Jesus went through with it, he was curtained. You know, he's, he's, he's done. What I see there that I want you to grasp a hold of more than anything is that God's love Jesus' love for us is sacrificial. He sacrificed for us. The Scripture that was read this morning in 1 John 4, uh, talking about how we're in God and God is in us, and His love is the revelation of how that is. Uh, If God's love is in us, we are in Him. He is in us. Therefore, coming back to this, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And again, this idea of, of, of meet, meeting their needs. Look at verse 17 of, of, of uh, 1 John 3. It says, if anyone has the world's goods, the world's goods means life-sustaining resources. Anyone who has life-sustaining resources and he sees his brother in need, Necessity, a necessary need. It's not, I want. And we're, we've got problems in our, in our culture today because we've got professional street people who know how to, to plead uh, for, for our, our resources and this type of thing. And I, I've been frequently uh, pointed out, that you, were you sure? And I said, no, but I'd rather be faulted the other way. You know, I'd rather fault to, on error and give somebody something than to have missed the opportunity. But the, the, it doesn't change the fact that there are those who need. And, and again, if we're praying, and by the way, this is part of a daily part of it. If you're in the Word every day, if you're praying every day, I'm confident that you will have God's eyes and ears as you, as you look and want to meet the needs of people around you. He sees the necessity of someone around him and said closes his heart against him, how does God abide in him? Continue to be present in him. Little children, teaching to disciples, little children is what teachers would say to their disciples, mature to immature, uh, little children, let us not love in word or talk, means speaking in the language used by the needy person, but in deed and truth. Indeed is the idea of, of, of working and the idea of truth here is things pertaining to God and duties of man. So all of this picture creates this plan that God has that as we're going through as Christians, we are a testimony and a witness of Christ's love by the way we treat other people. Isn't that basically what this whole the Scripture keeps coming to say? Uh, they will know you are Christians by your love. And, and the idea of your love is how you minister to those in need. 
It comes up too frequently to be something we can ignore. And people will say, well, well, how, how do I do this? How, you know, how do I do this? Because I'm, I'm, in, I don't, I'm either intimidated or I don't want to just free, flippantly give money away on the street. And I'm not, a, 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 I understand that. Okay? And, and so you, we can do it through our church. We give to missions that meet the needs of other people in other parts of the world. You, you can do it through uh, our benevolence fund, which meets the needs of people within our church as well as outside in the community. I don't know how many times this church has come to the, 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 the side of, of non-believing people uh, whose house had been burned down or, or whose child died suddenly uh, and, and they needed help and, and stuff like that. And uh, in fact, our, our church phone number was, uh, used to be, was occasionally found underneath the, the overpasses. <laughs> you know, they would, uh, you know, that's how they would let somebody else know, call this number if you're stuck here <laughs> for the night. Uh, you know, because we have that reputation. I'm extremely proud as a pastor that we have that reputation. Because it's that we've, we've got a glimpse at least of what Christ is wanting us to do as we minister in the community. But I think you need to know that it's all your resources that belong to Him and therefore all of His resources are, are, we're responsible to be accountable to before Him. And so if you have the means in your pocket and the person that's needy, that picture of, out of James, and you do not meet their need, what good is that? We're missing the, we're missing the opportunity. And this is where it comes back to you. As you meet those needs, and now I, and, and you people know I'm not, I'm not one of the prosperity preachers. If you give enough, you get, you get three times back or ten times back or a hundred times back in the sense of, of how you give. But, but that there is a blessing that comes with it. Sometimes you just walk away knowing that you've helped. Sometimes you'll actually get an opportunity, and I have several times over the years of ministry, to see someone that I've helped either by a phone call, a, a letter, or a Bible returned that was, was taken, <laughs> uh, my Bible with all my notes in it and stuff like that, and have it returned five years later saying, I've accepted the Lord, and here's your Bible. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, that idea that, that God is at work around us, and He wants us to be aware of that. And, the, and He wants us to be a part of it. Can you th- think of this? God, who could accomplish anything He wants by His Word, has invited us in to be part of the process so that we can share in the joy and blessing of His work being done. We are a part of it. The person who shared the Gospel with me is part of my roots. He's part of my family tree in, in Christ. And I don't even know his name. I never, I didn't see him again. I'd seen him a few times before and then we moved shortly after that. I don't even know his name. I was told by one of my friends that he, he had problems with alcohol and that, you know, how could that be something? And I said, I don't know how that happens, but all I know is that he shared the gospel with me and it changed my life. By the way, there are saved people who have problems with alcohol and with drugs. Read The Hound of Heaven. 
and you'll understand what I mean. Just, it's a smart, short book called The Hound of Heaven. I wrote down here just the idea of willing. We, we must be willing to take an active part in using our resources to meet needs God makes known to us. Ready to share what God has given us with others. And this is, it's, it's both financial in the sense of money or shelter or food. And I don't, you know, people say, well, I don't want to give them money because maybe they're going to go buy drugs. Then, then invite them to go to the grocery store with you. Or tell them, you know, you can call me and say, I'll call my pastor. He would be glad to give you a ride up to the rescue mission. You know, just whatever it takes to, to, to come alongside. If it's something that you're not sure about, but you're, you're feeling compelled, but you're just not sure, then, then, you know, I will be glad to come alongside. Ready to share with what God has given us, our, our resources for shelter, for food. And, and then how do we respond uh, and, and, and like I said, we, we can do this with, through church benevolence, church missions, and personal outreach. But there's also a sense of conduct that is to be changing in us. The way we, we act, the way we, we look at the world. Uh, and, I, and I thought of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through, uh, 1 through 8, just the, the, we call it the love chapter. You know, it's, it's just the idea of, you know, Love is, is an outreach. It doesn't keep a list of wrongs. It doesn't, it, 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 it's, it's, it's looking for opportunity to share with the other person and minister to other people. And it ends with the idea of verse 8, love never ends. Agape love never ends. Agape love technically has no beginning and no end because it's God's love. Shared through us. And there's no other way to have it but to, to come through us to each other uh, in Jesus Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, making that possible. Love never ends. And this is all because of what Christ has done for us. He loved us first. We've sang that. He loved us first. He loved us while we were still dying in our sins, while we were still His enemy. There's so many different places that points this out. He loved us first. We have no claim to His love in our own strength, in our own body, and in this type of thing. And, and, and what we've done. We have no claim to His love. Because we haven't done it perfectly. The only thing that counts is what you do perfectly. How many of you have done anything perfectly? I'm going to suggest to you that you haven't. Uh, and, and, and go back to, to Genesis chapter 3 as my standpoint and just say that as, as fallen, uh, everything we do is going to have difficulty because of it. We no longer think purely. We are fallen people in the fallen flesh. Even though we're redeemed, even though we're renewed, even though we're being restored, we're still in the fallen flesh. And my flesh cries out for stuff that it shouldn't. 
and sometimes I indulge it. It's, we just need to be re- reminded again and again and again that, that God wants to work through us. And in the process, change us. Basically, He wants us to, again, i come back to this one last point that I've already made. He wants us to have the mind of Christ that did what? Emptied Himself of what He was entitled to in order to what? Save us. I'm in, I, 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 with all the things that I can think of, I'm entitled to certain things, I, you know, uh, uh, by definition of my rights in America and stuff like that. But, you know, am I willing to sacrifice any of that for the sake of someone else? Uh, can, I, can I let somebody step on one of my rights in order for them to maybe end up drawing a, a step closer to the Lord afterwards? You know, if, I, if there's a sense I see that. Yeah, it's, it's a sacrificial relationship. God wants us to sacrifice as He has and as a result be blessed and sent in a sense of joy that He has as we share His love. Uh, the last... Uh, Thing I just the, this the the picture is is that uh, uh, as we go to communion is to think in that first advent what it cost God to love us and it's beyond our comprehension we're at best seeing it. I like like Paul says to the Corinthians, in a, in a through a mirror or through a window darkly. You know, uh, it's 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 hazy at best. It's a reflection that we we can kind of catch a glimpse of, but uh, and that's the best we can do. And even that is amazing when you think about it. What little we can put together, the God of all creation. The Word was in the beginning with, and He was, was with God. He was God. Emptied Himself and dwelt among us so that we would know the Father, the mind of the Father, and how to put this together so that we could see the Old Testament completed and the New Testament uh, brought together in such a way that we can look ahead to the second coming of Christ. And, and every time we share communion, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the whole thing. We're not celebrating any one part of it. Maybe my focus or whoever's sharing communion or, or leading in communion that day will be sharing in a, a specific thought of it like I might be today in the sense of how much God loved us. But it's the whole picture of being saved, being a part of the family of God, dwelling together, fellowshipping together, uh, having faith, shared faith together, all of this and what Christ has done for us and then for me as I look at it within the framework of myself. It's an amazing thing that we do, and we do it every Sunday. And I, I, again, I know of people that have come to our church and left, and they feel that we take it every Sunday, which means that we don't pay it enough respect. I think it, 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 it's awkward for me to not have it every Sunday because it is giving the respect that Christ is due as often as we gather together to share and do it in remembrance of Him. So as we come together to share 
ask the ushers to come and pass the emblems out. Hold them till we've all been served and uh, we'll share together.